What's going on, guys? It's JP from the Double Double, and I'm here with my co-host, Ben. What's going on, everybody? Welcome. And I know we usually break down games that have happened over the last few days, but today we're going to play a fun game of Would You Rather um, this season edition, right? We're going to take some things that has have happened this season and just pin them against each other, and I'm going to have Ben decide which one he would take, and I'll give you guys my answer as well. So let's just rock right into it. So the Utah Jazz are 3-1, and one, and this made me come up with this Would You Rather. If you're a Utah fan, would you rather keep this scrappy group together and just miss the play-in but have, like, a fun, entertaining year and have a team that, like, fights for every win or trade everyone on this team for future protected first-round picks and kind of lock in your spot for a 14% at, chance at Wemby? If I'm the Utah Jazz, I'm blowing this team up as much as I can. I think there's like Colin Sexton is a guy you should probably keep. Um, I like him. He doesn't he doesn't cost that much. But when you look at this team, man, Laurie Markinen is not putting up 30 points a game for the season. Um, right. So I think they're, they've started really, really well. They've beat some good teams. They've looked impressive. But 45, 50 games into the season, this same unit is not going to be winning games at the same rate. Um, so I – Think if I'm the Utah Jazz, I'm trading everybody. Well, yeah, and I know they're not going to win at the same rate. I like in the Would You Rather, I had them just missing the play-in, right? And it's oh, just, just one missing of those, the play-in. Yeah, so just this team that's like scrappy pulls out some weird wins over really good teams. All of a sudden, like you have Larry Markkinen scoring 30 points per game the first four games of the season, like, and just fall in love with this weird group of guys, or just like, hey for the greater good, ship everyone out of here. So it seems like you're on board with just shipping everyone out of here. After blowing up the whole team, yeah, I think that's the move. Yeah, and I I think it is, it's the right move. I do think, for me, this is harder than I thought it would be. I think it could be fun rooting for a scrappy underdog team that's not, like, horrible. Because you said it before the season started, this team's talented enough to, like, actually compete. Um, but we saw where it was headed, where they're going to try, probably try to get rid of all these guys. Um, but they're just fun, man. They're fun. They compete. They work their asses off. The coach, Will Hardy, who was signed from the Boston Celtics, looks like he knows what he's doing. Um, it's just fun. And I feel like for Utah fans coming into the season, they knew this was going to be a very boring and horrible season. For them to start 3-0 and and have some guys really play well for them seems pretty exciting, but I agree with you. I think I'd rather kind of lock in one of those top four spots for a 14% chance at Wemby. And it doesn't even guarantee them they'll get a top four pick. But I right. think with a talent like Wemby or a talent like Scoot coming up, I think just where that franchise is heading, that that has to be the play. Yeah, they have been a fun team. The ball movement's been excellent from like a lot of guys. I don't expect to be moving the ball around a lot. Um, they've been fun to watch, but if you're asking, like, would you rather take your, would you want to take yourself out of the Wembenyama and Scoot sweepstakes to, you know, be an 11 seed? Probably right. not. Um, I got a related pick. Uh, would you rather, if you're any team in the NBA right now, would you rather make the play in tournament or get the third pick in the draft next year? Hmm. So that's super dependent on what team you are. Like if you're the Kings, you probably want to make in the play, make the play in tournament just because you've been so bad for so long. If you're the Blazers, same thing. Like you want to make the play in tournament. You don't care about a top three pick. You want to maximize Dame's potential this year. Um, but if you're a team that's like the Magic, you know, adding 
or the Pistons, right? Like those two teams where they're still super young and they can focus on growing their young talent. I think you you want to miss the play-in for sure. I think that's fair. And I think you could probably even argue the opposite end. You know, putting Cade in a play-in game right now, putting Jaden Ivey in a play-in game right now might be good for them. Paolo, same thing. 100%. I think if I'm in, it is definitely dependent on the team. Getting a third pick would be nice. It's not Wemby or Scoop, but it still would be nice. Yeah. Um, but if you're a team that wants to make the play and I think it would be better to do that. So another would you rather, if you're a team desperate for a point guard for this upcoming season, would you prefer Tyrese Halliburton, who's 25 and nine through three games with less than three turnovers a game, or former number one overall pick Cade Cunningham, who put on 10 pounds of muscle in the offseason. He looks visibly bigger, averaging 18 points and seven assists but still struggling with his efficiency. So basically the question is, are you buying that Tyrese Halliburton's this good? And are you like, do you think Cade can rehab his efficiency or what, where do you land? Who would you rather have for this season to win games? I think I'd rather have Halliburton. Halliburton's efficient right now. Um, He's a better passer than Cade and probably will end his career as a better passer than Cade. Um, Cade's efficiency is going to get there. We saw it climb up and up and up his rookie year. Overall, it was still bad, but if you look month by month, it always got better. Um, But he's still consistently been like not a good catch and shoot guy. Uh, Off the dribble is where he does most of his offensive production. Um, Tyrese Halberton is a great catch and shoot guy. He can play off ball. He can play with the ball in his hands. He's a better defender. He's a smarter defender. I think Halberton's kind of the, the easy one. Yeah, and his efficiency this year, 52% from the floor, 44% from three, and 95 from the free throw line. It, it He is just, and this is the jump I was talking about in the offseason, I predict him to have a Darius Garland-type leap where he is in the running for most improved player. Um, even though this team's going to be dog shit, I think he's he's a good bet to put your money on. I know Ant is the favorite and probably deservedly so, but Tyrese Halliburton's a very good second option. Absolutely. And unrelated to the would you rather, just a shout out to Benedict Matherin on that Pacers team, putting up 22, 6 and 2 right now, shooting 43% from three. He's started off fantastic. Um, though that young backcourt is so awesome. Um, speaking of young backcourts, would you rather. Uh, I'm trying to think of young backcourt duos. Ben Matherin and Ty, I'm talking about for the future, who would you rather have? Uh, Garland and Mitchell, uh, Halliburton and Matherin, Ivy and Cade, or what's another good one? I can stop you here. It, it's Garland and Mitchell. Yeah. I don't think I don't think anyone can kind of really compare with them. Even the Trey Young, DeJounte Murray experience isn't going very well. Trey and DeJounte um, is a good, I don't know about that, man. I don't think it's working as well as we'd want it to. I think Trey Young's struggling from the floor. And yes, this is a four-game sample size, but I just think Garland's been out for basically the whole season. He played 12 minutes of basketball and then got his eye ripped out of his head by Gary Trent Jr. Donovan Mitchell's averaging a ridiculous, ridiculous stat line right now. When Garland comes back, he can take over the playmaking duties again. I, I don't think it's a question. DeJounte and Trey would have been my last duo. Um, having two guys on your team who can put up 20 and 10 on every night, any given night, is crazy. Um, Garland is that guy. So I guess Mitchell, with Mitchell and Garland, you have that there as well. Um, the only issue with Garland and Mitchell is they're both 6'2 on a good day. Um, Benedict Matherin, 6'6. Tyrese Halbert, 6'5. 
DeJounte Murray's tall and long, Trey Young's short. So I think, I mean, for the future, probably Garland and Mitchell because they've already proven themselves. Uh, but I think Tyrese Halliburton and Benedict Matherin are going to deserve a lot more love. Hey, you're a huge Matherin guy. You've been a huge Matherin guy since the draft process. It makes sense for you to want to ride with that because we're both huge Halliburton fans. Yeah. Um. So, all right, next one. For this season to take you to a title, would you rather have Pascal Siakam, who's been 27-10-7 through the first games of the season, and also just a good defensive player, or Paul George, who's 25-7-5 and also had a 40-point game already? And he Paul looks George. kind of Paul George. Okay. Yeah. Pascal Siakam's awesome. That game against the Nets, he looked like the best player on the floor the entire night. Yeah. Uh, he had a monster triple double, 37 something and something. Um, but Paul George's game is just so smooth. He can put up 18 shots. He's kind of like Kevin Durant, where he doesn't need the ball in his hands, but if he does have it in his hands, he's incredible. Yeah. Uh, he could put up 18 shots and touch the ball 20 times and just be hyper efficient. Um, Pascal's been amazing, but Paul George is just like, we've seen that archetype of player do very well in the NBA before. So I'm going to rock with Paul George. It's hard for me to do this, but I think I'm going to choose Siakam. I just think he's a very valuable defensive player. I think he, he's a great playmaker, great rebounder. The scoring numbers are there. You can't argue with 27 points per game, but the three point shooting is a massive difference between these two players. Paul George can hit 10 threes in a game and you don't blink an eye for Pascal. You're impressed if he hits four. Um, and at the moment, Pascal is only shooting 29% from three point land. Right. So it's hard for me to do this, but I just think for this season, I think there's a chance Pascal is the better player to take me to a title. That's definitely fair, man. Defensively, Pascal Siakam's a beast. Paul George also has his moments, and he's pretty incredible. Um, I like Paul George as a guy that fits into a system. I think you can build your team around Pascal a little differently. Um, So it's definitely like whichever guy you choose, your team, the way your team's set up is definitely going to be different. Right, right, for sure. Um, that's a good one though, because I think they're both going to be in contention for all NBA third team this year. It feels like they're kind of on the same tier of player, but I think Pascal's a little bit younger and then Paul George has the three point shooting. So that's kind of where they land on that. Um, moving on to the next one. If you're the Lakers, would you prefer to trade Westbrook and those coveted, coveted picks for Markinen, Sexton and Conley from the Jazz, Hayward and Rozier from the Hornets? Or Miles Turner, Buddy Buddy Heald, and Chris Duarte from the Pacers? I don't think the Jazz are offering Sexton. Um, I think trading for him from the Cavs, I think the the contract extension they gave him, all that, I don't know if they're shipping away Sexton. Um, but, you know, Markinen, Sexton, Conley, I might take that trade. Uh, Markinen, as a tall shooter, they need another shooter. If you put him, LeBron, and AD on the floor at the same time, that's a big lineup. Um, I think you could do some cool stuff there. Colin Sexton's a beast, but I really don't see the jazz giving up Sexton. That's fair. Um, I think for me, I've seen Sexton and Markinen in a different light just because I'm like locked in on them, right? Mm -hmm. Because I watch the Cavs every single night. So, you know, Markinen's a super unique talent. Like he can posterize you and hit eight threes in a game. It's very unique guy, but he's super injury prone and he's super inconsistent. The run he's on right now is probably the best stretch of basketball he's ever played in his career. Yeah. 
Um, so if you're the Lakers, I feel like you're buying high there. I would go for Hayward and Rozier. And I know that sounds crazy because Hayward's constantly hurt. Yeah. But I think a guy like Rozier, just Rozier, is very, very helpful to that team. Just the off-dribble creation, guy can, who can get buckets and hit a lot of threes. Um, and then if Hayward does stay healthy, we've talked about how much we like Hayward on this podcast. Like, he is a perfect connecting piece. He can get you 16, 5, and 5 every night on good efficiency and just keep the ball moving, defend who he's got to defend. He's kind of a guy you don't have to worry about when he's out there. He's not going to make a ton of mistakes. He's going to keep your team afloat. I know you're betting on Hayward to stay healthy, which is a horrible bet. But I just like the way those players fit if they're healthy. Terry Rozier, since he's been a Hornet, has been one of the best catch-and-shoot three-point guys in the NBA yeah. by the numbers. Um, so on a team with LeBron, that's definitely like just perfect catch and shoot guy all he has to do Terry Rozier is excellent at that um between Markin and Hayward man they both miss about all of their games like they both miss miss the same amount of games so you're not comfortably betting on either one of them to stay healthy yeah um but I mean the the Hayward if he was with LeBron at the same time and AD and Terry Rozier if all four of those guys were on the floor at the same time that's a ridiculous lineup Hayward plays like a top 10 forward when he's healthy um, he did for the Celtics. He had some incredible months for the Celtics. It's just like, how many games has he even played for Charlotte? It's like, it's it's hard to even guess. If you had to guess right now, how many games? Like 60, honestly. It's around there, 80, 89. Yeah, yeah. And that's in three seasons with the team. So yeah. it's just, like I said, it's a horrible bet to pay, bet on Hayward. And maybe that's why we should talk about the Hornets offer a little bit. Miles Turner is very similar to Markin and Hayward in, in the aspect that he just misses a ton of games. This dude is never on the court. Mm-hmm. Buddy Heald's statistically a top five three-point shooter over the last however many years, right? Yeah. Like the amount of threes that guy takes and makes is ridiculous. And then Chris Duarte is kind of like baby Buddy Heald. I mean, he's there to kind of just chuck up threes. So if you're the Lakers and you get two guaranteed shot makers, maybe that's the offer you take. If you're just betting on, hey, we need catch and shoot badly, maybe that's the offer you take. Maybe. I I mean, AD doesn't like being the five. So you bring in Miles Turner and you put him at the five. I think Anthony Davis would love that. Um, you are just kind of shopping around for injured players that could potentially join your team. Like Miles Turner doesn't play a lot. You're right. Um, his block numbers are always awesome when he plays. Buddy Heald yeah. is a career 40% three-point shooter on eight attempts a game. Yeah, it's um, ridiculous. The difference between a dude shooting 40% on like three threes a game compared to eight is pretty ridiculous. Um, he's incredible at shooting three-pointers and that's it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if he's on a team with LeBron, that's all he really has to do. I think that's a good trade, man. I, I think the backcourt's a little crowded in Indiana. Um, I'd like to get some of those guys out of there. I think that's a good trade. Yeah, and if you if you just look at the Lakers lineup, Miles Turner, Anthony Davis, LeBron James, Buddy Heald, and Pat Bev, that works. That like, works. That's a good lineup. And, you know, Chris Duarte coming off the bench now, that's a player that you feel comfortable with soaking up some minutes. So, yeah, I don't know. All three of the offers are definitely respectable. I think after talking it out, I'm actually leaning towards the Pacers one um, just because I'm so down on Hayward's health. But 
Yeah, it's just the Lakers are going to eventually have to move Westbrook. Like I said two podcasts ago, I'm not going to beat the dude down, but he is probably one of the worst players in the NBA at this point. There's no redeeming qualities to him right now. So, I mean, if it takes moving those picks, you got to move those picks, but it's what you're getting back. And for, you know, fans listening right now, the Lakers are 25 out of 118 from three this year. It is the worst start of three-point shooting in NBA history. You need three-point shooting on this team. If you're going to give up Russell Westbrook, you need to get shooting back. I think I'm going to lean towards the Duarte, Buddy Heald, Miles Turner combo. If they could get all three of those, I think that would be perfect. I have a I have a similar would-you-rather question. Yeah. Um, if you're Rob Palinka, if you're the ownership in LA, would you rather, uh, knowing that LeBron probably helped you put together this trade, you're not making a trade for Russell Westbrook without LeBron James' input, um, you're not making the decisions you make signing-wise, trade-wise, without LeBron's input. Would you rather upset him by not trading these two picks and let him ride out the team that he put together, um, knowing that he'll be gone in a couple years anyway and he'll never play during the years where you're giving up these picks, or trade them and win a championship, try to win a championship this year? Trade them and try to win a championship. It, this is one of the two best players to ever touch an NBA court. I think to do a disservice to him in his last few years in the league would put a horrible stain on the Lakers franchise. I think that would make them look like a more of a bum franchise than they already are. Um, and that just does not bode well for them signing decent players, players staying there after being like after their rookie contracts and shit like that. I just think you can't go that way. You cannot. I think that's fair. Um, Rob Blinka probably doesn't have a long career in Los Angeles regardless. No. Um, but I think we're not giving enough credit to LeBron James for the team that is around him. Um, he Everything he goes with... through him. Yeah, yeah, everything goes through him. Yes, it's Rob Palenka's fault, but it's just as much as LeBron's fault as it is Palenka's. Right. He's not... Rob Palenka is making no decisions without LeBron James' input. The best player in the world. Um, you ask him for permission on every trade you make. All of it. Um, he put this team together. I kind of feel like you got to just sit back and be like, Hey man, I didn't, you know, he asked to trade for Russell Westbrook. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, definitely you go win now because it's LeBron James and we all yeah. want to see him win. And just before we move off the Lakers, this is Russell Westbrook shooting percentages through the first few games of the season, 28% from the floor. Okay. Yeah. 8% from three. So that is what you're getting from Russell Westbrook as of right now. And honestly, like there's not a, I don't think there's a worse player right now, but they just have to move off of them. I said on the last podcast, you got to wait till the tread deadline. I still believe in that. You got to up his value as much as possible. But yeah, as of right now, I mean, it's a little how do you very, up his value though? Just by holding out. It's not, it's actually not even his value. It's the picks value, mm -hmm. right? That So if the team's absolutely dog shit up until the All-Star break and someone wants to give you their unprotected picks way in the future to try to get better, I mean, you take that deal every time, especially for a player that only has one year left on his contract. Yes, it's a massive number at $45 million a year, but it's one year. It's half a season, and then he's not your problem anymore. That's true. And you don't even have to play the guy just because you're trading for him doesn't mean he has to see time like for the Pacers, for example, like you want Halliburton to develop and you want Matherin to develop, just kind of shelf Westbrook and say, hey, next summer, 
try to up your values, maybe sign for a minimum contract, maybe come off the bench for a contending team that already has everything put together. You just get the assets for the picks. And personally, for me, I think those two unprotected picks are worth the $45 million on the books. I think you're absolutely right. And I mean, salary-wise, the Pacers could just buy out Westbrook. Um, they don't have anybody <laughs> that they're paying. Like, t- Buddy Heald's their highest played, highest paid player right now, $21 million. Wow. Uh, Miles Turner at 18, and then everybody else is under 10. Um, you could just buy him out. You literally, yeah. like, you don't even have to worry about playing him a single minute. You could just say, we got to clear up some space here. Let's get Matherin more minutes. Let's get Halliburton more minutes. And then we'll just, all right, thanks for the picks. Goodbye, Westbrook. Exactly. Um, let's move on to my next would you rather. Would you rather, what young score would you rather have this year? Jalen Green, who's averaging 24, 4, and 4. Or Paolo, who's averaging 23, 8, and 4. Paolo. I worry a little bit with Jalen Green and the Rockets that he's going to have some like Bradley Beal like development where his team just never wins and all he worry about all he worries about is putting up a lot of shots. Yeah, um, Paolo already you can see that the the rebounding is excellent. I've seen a lot of defensive energy from Paolo. Um, also, he's 6'10", 250. Like just the build works better. Um, Jalen Green's definitely got the higher ceiling just as a scorer, but I'm taking Paolo. And that's totally fair. Like that was my argument for Paolo being the best player in the draft recently. It's just 6'11", 250. You can't teach that. Yeah. Jalen Green through the first however many games of the season, 46% from the floor, 48% from three, and 93% from the free throw line. Like this guy's figuring it out. Yes, like I said, he's only averaging four rebounds and four assists. We kind of said that when he got drafted. He's going to be a guy who scores, and there's not going to be a ton else, but he's going to score with the best of them, and that's kind of what we're seeing to start this season. With Paolo, there's a little bit more there, just bigger, can affect shots more. But as a scorer, man, I don't know. Jalen Green shot chucks the fuck out of the ball, too. Like I think he's taking 18 shots a game, which... nineteen. Not yeah, nineteen shots a game, which is like that's a lot for a second year player. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'll take Paolo too, but I think that's pretty close. Both of these guys could be, you know, 23, 24 points per game this year. And I think even though Paolo looks so good so fast, and it seems like there hasn't even really been a transition period, I'm interested to see if he hits a rookie wall at some point in this season because he's making it look easy right now. Um, you know, I wonder if like 50 games into the season, he kind of starts to slow down, maybe gets a little less efficient. I'm curious, but yeah, I'll take Paolo for now. I think the thing that bodes well with Paolo is the nine free throws a game compared to Jalen Green's three. Um, Jalen Green's gotten a lot stronger. You can actually tell when he drives at the hoop, a lot of times he goes at guys now. His rookie year, he did a lot of finesse moves around people, and he really didn't get to the line much at all. He's doing that a little more, but Paolo at nine free throws a game through four. Um, he's a dude who's going to get fouled a lot his entire career um, because of how strong he is, because of how hard he drives to the hoop. Yeah, um, He's just going to get a lot of free throws his whole career. I love Paolo's game so far. I don't even see him hitting a rookie wall. I don't see this production slowing down even a yeah. little bit. Yeah, I mean, I know you – like off the podcast of maybe talking about Paolo, maybe even having an all-star berth. 
this year because that's the caliber he's playing at right yeah. now. Like 23, 8, and 4, those are all-star numbers, and mm-hmm. he's doing it on all-star efficiency as well. Like, he's a beast, man. I, if he doesn't hit the rookie wall, it's a sure fit. Like, he is the rookie of the year, kind of undoubtedly at this point. Yes, it's four games into the season, but even before the season – we knew he had a chance to be a 20 point per game scorer just because he's 6'11, 250. And now seeing it in person and watching it happen and watching how easy it is to get for him to get to those numbers, it does seem like he's the best player in this class. I think Matherin's yeah. second, though, which is fun. Yeah, that is fun, dude. Not, not what I expected. I knew he was going to be a star, but I didn't know right away he was going to be this good. Um, Paolo, though. He, the thing I really liked seeing from him, but also it makes me a little bit worried for the future is the no threes. Um, he's doing all this only hitting like one or two threes so far in his career. Yeah. Um, I thought that was going to be a thing that slowed him down a lot. And maybe that is the thing where 40, 50 games in, he's only got a handful of moves and he's been slowed down on some of them and he needs to try to stretch his game out. Um, but I, I like, we haven't seen it so far. You put anybody on him that's six six or shorter, and he's going right through them to the basket. Nothing's going to really stop that. Yeah, and even I mean, even when he meets centers at the rim, most of the time he's outweighing these guys, right? Yeah. Like I saw just last night, they were facing the Knicks. He just buried through Isaiah Hartenstein's chest for an easy layup, and it yeah. was kind of just like he just moved that seven foot one guy with ease. There was no contest. There was no resistance. Mm-hmm. And it's a fucking seven foot one center. So yeah, I'm going Paolo, but I think because the different ways Jalen green can get it done, it needs to be a conversation. I I respect that Jalen green. Me and you both said he was going to be great this year. He started off hot. The ridiculous efficiency from three has been crazy. Cause he yeah. plays with more confidence than anybody, man. Yeah. And these are like step backs. These are catching yeah. shoots. This is off the dribble. This yeah. it's like when you watch the, the second package. year, Jordan pool and you were like, what the, what is this role player doing? Like, what are these moves I'm seeing from a guy who I've never really watched before? That's what Jalen green yeah. does. Yeah. Yeah, but he makes them, yes, right? Yes, Se- Second-year Jordan Poole was just doing crazy shit and not making it. Yes, Jalen Green hits it. He hits it. So, yeah, it, he's a very impressive young player. I think the Rockets do have a good one in him for sure. What do you okay. think, real quick, before we yeah. move off the Rockets, uh, Jabari Smith and Jalen Green already screaming at each other four games in. Eric Gordon was just spaced out, not even yeah. paying attention. Um, the vibes don't look that excellent in Houston. Um, I think a lot of people on that team care about how many shots they're taking that. And that's, that's kind of where yeah. I'll, that's where I'll kind of leave it because, you know, you have Jabari Smith, third overall pick, you have Jalen green, second overall pick. Both of these guys give a shit about how, you know, how much credit they're getting for how the team's playing. And mm-hmm. like, we're talking about Jalen Smith taking shots. Jabari Smith's taking 14 shots a game. Yeah. That's a fucking ton to be taking in your first four games in the NBA, 14 shots a game. Yeah. And I'm sure, yeah, part of that is probably he wants even more than that. Kevin Porter Jr. is taking 17 a game. Um, <laughs> that is this team. They're, they're a team full of guys who really want to get their shots up. Yeah, and it's it doesn't bode well for winning. This no. was kind of my issue to begin with is just mm-hmm. this team. They want to score, and then they don't want to do anything else. They don't want to pass. They don't want to play defense. It's just how many points can I score? And I like, we talked about Kevin Porter jr. I don't want to go on a rant here about the Rockets who suck, but like I was watching a few possessions yesterday where I was just like, Holy shit. James, uh, Kevin Porter jr. Was trying to be James Harden where he dribbled in between the legs for literally 12 seconds of the shot clock. 
And it's like, that does nothing for the team. The guy, the defender has his feet planted the entire time. He doesn't have to be concerned with him making a move because it's all for show. And he just wants to pitter patter the ball against the ground. It's a lot of bullshit and garbage on that team. Honestly, I think they're talented. I think in the future, maybe that team can become something. But as of right now, it's just a bunch of guys playing pickup at the YMCA. That is, yeah, that is exactly what it is. It's a bummer that Kevin Porter Jr. and Jalen Green are as close as they are because ideally you'd want to separate them. Um, Kevin Porter Jr. is probably not your point guard of the future. Even though he's flashy, the stats look nice. Some of the moves, the highlights look really cool. He's just not the kind of half-court facilitator that you'd want him to be. Um, He is putting up five and a half assists per game. He he doesn't do nothing. But, like, you know, ideally you want somebody else. To think about that, though, for a guy who has the ball in his hands for as much as he has it, to only have five and a half assists per game, it's either everyone around him is missing shots or he doesn't care about creating. And I haven't watched enough of it to, like, really know the answer to that question. But in the game I watched, it looked like homeboy just wanted to put up 50. So the assist percentage is a stat that uh, estimates the amount of teammates' shots that you assisted. Kevin Porter Jr. is at 25%. So out of every four shots that come out, that are shot while he's on the floor, he's assisting on one of them, which is usually like a Rajon Rondo type assist where you just, you know, a bounce pass to a guy who's cutting or like a pass to a guy with four seconds on the shot clock. That's not like top tier playmaking. Yeah. So that whole team is for tempers to be flaring within four games is just. It's just not a good sign. Not uh, Steven Silas. Steven Silas. It should be in some interesting conversations this year. Um, my next one up. Out of the two players coming back from ACL injuries, would you rather have Jamal Murray or Kawhi Leonard this season? And the reason why I actually think this is a question because some people might just look at that question and scoff because Kawhi is clearly the better player out of the two. What we're seeing from Kawhi right now, which is frustrating me to no end, is I think his model for this season is going to be playing 20 minutes every other game for as long as he can. It looks like Jamal Murray's trying to work through it. Like, yeah, we watched him last night, me and you, we watched him in the Nuggets-Portland game, and he kind of just looks like a role player, but he's out there. He's playing basketball, mm-hmm. right? So he's gaining chemistry with his team. He is trying to get the, his legs back under him. He's taking difficult shots. He's making difficult passes. Kawhi, he gets in the game. He puts up 12 shots, which is great. He needs to get the shots back, but it's only happening every other game. So, like, so for you personally, what player would you have for this year out of those two players coming back from injury? It depends, I guess, if we're talking about regular season or playoffs. Um, But if we're talking about the whole thing, I think Kawhi Leonard is still the guy because it's still so early in the season. Um, Game four matters as much as like game 62. And so, you know, by that point, he's probably ramped up and he's probably starting and he's probably playing around 30 minutes a game. Um, Still load managing the way he always does, but... I think the it's just a slow start that we're seeing from Kawhi and Jamal Murray. Would you rather have a dude who plays 27 minutes a game, builds chemistry with his guys, but isn't very productive while he's on the floor? And I think uh, Jamal Murray's got the lowest plus minus of any nugget so far through four games. Yeah. Or would you rather have Kawhi who just kind of comes in for spotty minutes and is clearly not trying to be like a winning force yet? It's, it is definitely a question. 
And that's kind of what I see from Kawhi too, is like he's coming into the game to become healthy. It's not to win the game. Yeah. Do you get do you kind of get what I'm saying? Like Yeah. Oh, absolutely not about winning the game. And but that frustrates me. And he is my he's my favorite player of all time. So I think maybe that's why it's affecting me maybe more than other people is because mm-hmm. I'm I'm used to seeing Kawhi when he's playing, he's winning the fucking game for you. This is the guy you give the ball to and he leads you to W's. Um, so to see him out there kind of just chucking up shots is a little strange for me. Obviously, I'm still going with Kawhi, though. I mean, and it's it's the case where it's game. It's the first week of the regular season, and these games don't matter. Um, right. You hate when players like act like that, but it is true that game four of the regular season doesn't matter. We really may not talk about this stuff again in two months. Right. Um, so you know, if he has to suck for a little bit, and he'll get back to his form soon. Like I don't think Kawhi cares. I think the worry for me with Kawhi is I don't think he's going to play a single back-to-back all year. Probably not. Because he didn't, even before yeah. he had surgeries. In he Toronto didn't, days, he didn't. Yeah, just for maintenance reasons. Yeah. He wanted to keep his knees fresh. So f- coming off an ACL, I feel like this rest rest on back-to-backs and the 20 minutes to game, I think it's going to take a longer time for him to get back to what he was then it probably should um, just because the way he likes to handle injuries. But like you said, if we're talking the whole year, if we're talking, bring me to a championship, you have to choose the guy who put up 46 points and locked up Luka Doncic for a full fourth quarter, you know, in in a first round playoff series, you have to choose that guy. Yeah. I think if we're honestly like not to bash Kawhi Leonard or anything, but if we're talking about which guy's got more heart when it comes to basketball, Jamal, Jamal Murray's the dude over Kawhi. Kawhi's the better player by far. Jamal Murray, there's more like passion about yes. the game, maybe. Yes. I don't I don't know how to describe that. Kawhi is a dude who shows up in hoops. Um, he is yeah. not your vocal leader on your team. He is the dude who shows up and is your best player, but he's not like I've never seen anything from him that makes me think he just fucking loves basketball. Like Kevin Durant watches basketball every free second that he gets. Kawhi Leonard openly admits he does not watch other teams play basketball. Yeah. He said, I don't watch basketball like that. I only watch film. Like, he's not a fan of the game. He's just one of the best players of the game to ever touch this earth. Yes. Um, Super interesting guy. We'll never truly understand Kawhi to the fullest extent. (laughs) But, um, yeah, I think that's an interesting question. I think both of them are going to be just fine by the playoffs. But just for this season, it's kind of like both of these guys do not look like themselves right now. And it doesn't. And, and that's to be expected, right? Four games into a season coming off a serious injury, that's fine. Um, but let's move on to another question. Which elite shooting guard would you rather have this season after seeing how they've started the season? So I'm going to list, list off a few guys for you. Donovan Mitchell, who's averaging 33 points, five rebounds, and seven assists. Zach Levine, who's averaging 23 points, three rebounds, four assists. Devin Booker, who's averaging 32 points, three rebounds, and five assists. Or Jalen Brown, who's averaging 25 points, five rebounds, and three assists. That's tough, man. As a Celtics fan, I want to say Jalen Brown, just because he brings more defense than any of them, maybe combined. Um, Donovan Mitchell's been incredible. It depends maybe on what your team needs. If your team needs that guy on your team to take over a game, Donovan Mitchell is probably the one I'm going with. Um, Devin Booker, I may never give him the credit he deserves. I don't know what that's about. 
Um, he's been incredible. And last year, you know, he was incredible. He's shooting 53% from the three point line right now. Yeah. Um, maybe it's just time I give him the credit he deserves, but I think him or Mitchell, I'm choosing Mitchell. I'm choosing Mitchell as well. Um, I've got an up close and personal look of what he's been able to do this season and he's willing this Cavs teams to wins right now. Um, he has a hundred points through three games. The next highest scorer has 48 on the Cavs right now. He has 52 points better than the next player on his team in terms of scoring. This guy is fucking crazy. And the shots he hits and the drives he takes and makes, it's super unique. I didn't realize he had, like, I didn't watch a ton of jazz games to be be completely transparent. Like, I did not give a fuck about Rudy Gobert. I did not give a fuck about the Utah Jazz. Seeing Donovan Mitchell on a team I care about, I'm like, this guy's really fucking talented. Um, I think he's getting a lot of credit right now for playmaking. I think it's a little overblown just because he has the ball in his hands every fucking possession for them. So he's kind of forced to get some assists there. But the scoring's been otherworldly. I haven't seen another player this season kind of willing their team to wins like he has. Yeah, I mean, the the one thing you can say about Donovan Mitchell in terms of the scoring numbers is he's taken more than double the amount of shots as the next guy on his team. Yeah. Um. So he is shooting a lot. He's shooting really efficiently. So there's no issue with him taking that Ex- many shots. Exactly. Um. But if you're comparing just like point for point output of some guys who's ta- who are taking like 18 shots a game versus Mitchell at 23, um, obviously he's gonna look like the better player. Um, I love Jalen Brown though. The three point shooting's not been there, but the defense is so much better than any of those guys. He's at around a steal and a half and a block and a half a game. Um. Yeah, definitely depends on what you need. If you need a second best player, it's Jalen Brown. If you need the guy, it's Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, and we spoke about this a little bit before the season when it came to Mitchell because you brought up the defense for Jalen Brown and how that's such an advantage. And Jalen Brown is the best defender on this list. So let's not even get confused about that. But Donovan Mitchell has been a plus defender this season. He's been yes, trying his ass off. It has been four games, but... I mean, he's picking up guys when they cross half court. He's blocking people from behind. He's getting into passing lanes. He is a disruptor. He is trying his ass off. And because he's so stocky, he can actually switch better than I thought he would. Um, so he he wasn't bullshitting in the press conferences saying, I'm going to try on defense this year. He's telling He was telling the truth, and it, I've noticed it for sure. He's actually playing very well on that side of the ball. But, yeah, yeah. Jalen Brown's the best defender in this group by far. Yeah, and if, you, you know, if you're in a situation where you want a really good two-way player, Jalen Brown is the guy I'd rather have than a guy yeah. who scores really well but tries on defense. Ex- exactly, exactly. So just I'm going with Donovan Mitchell out of the group, and you're choosing? Donovan Mitchell. Okay. There's okay. a little bit of context there if you want like a second best player on sure. Jalen Brown, but Donovan Mitchell. For sure. Um, all right. And here's I have another one, one would you rather that I want to hit you with. Yeah, go um, for it. Related to Wemby. Would you rather make it to the NBA finals but lose or draft Victor Victor Wembanyama? Holy shit. Because I think if you're asking, would you rather win the finals or draft Wemby? It has to be win the finals. Yes. Um, but make it and lose. Holy shit. That is a great question. Yeah. I think I'd rather make it to the finals and lose. Um, I think, you know, just the hype that that brings to a team and that brings to a city, I think is pretty worth it. Um, But it is definitely a valid question. 
Yeah, I think I'm going to go with you as well. Um, But holy shit, man. Yeah, that's crazy. Like, I'm trying to think of, you know, if the Kings got Wemby, right? They would freak the fuck out. But if the Kings made the finals, that city would be fucking ripped to shreds. Yes. Lamp posts, telephone poles, everything would be being ripped down. The excitement that that brings to a franchise and to a city is probably... It's the short-term gratification. Is that that's what that is? Mm-hmm. If you're thinking long-term, Wemby's the choice because a finals loss doesn't matter ten years from now. Right. It's like, oh, remember that season we played really well and made it to the finals. Of course, that means something, but you lost. If you have Wemby, who's putting up twenty-seven, ten, and five, like, yeah, maybe Wemby know. brings you back. Yeah, I'm choosing final. making it to the finals and losing, but fuck, man, that is a great question. That's yeah. that's not an easy answer. Yeah, I mean, just think about, like, if you're the Knicks. Imagine how loud that city would be, how absolutely insane that city would be if they make the finals. Right. Um, I, I, I do think that that hype is worth it, even though, like, if you draft Weminyama, maybe four years down the line, you're making it deep in playoff <laughs> runs anyway. Right, like consistently making right. deeper playoff runs, right. like for a decade, right? right? So yeah, it's that's a great question. I think we're on the same page there. Yeah. Um, all right, that's a good one. That has me all riled up. Um, would you rather bet on Doc Rivers, Steve Nash, Tom Thibodeau, and I'm gonna throw in Steven Silas in there as well as the first coach to be fired this year? Man, I can we just manifest? Can we just speak into existence? Tom Thibodeau getting fired. Sure. Um, I think that would be great. I'm all on board for that. I've been on board for that since the second year as a Knicks coach. Um, I think Steven Silas, I think the Rockets might be tricking people. They're not trying to win games right now. They've had the worst record in the NBA for two years straight. And I don't think they've gotten enough uh, bad talk about that. Obviously, they're trying to lose, but worst record in the NBA through two years um they're doing it again this year don't don't have any doubt steven silas is willing that team to a single digit win record um there that's exactly they're on track that's what they want okay i see that for sure i'm gonna go doc rivers here mm. um so the steven silas argument makes sense because the team's fucking horrible yeah. right but i think the gm Raphael stone doesn't care that the team's horrible um so I think Steven Silas's job is safe just because they knew the team was going to suck. Um, Tom Thibodeau has lost some favor in New York, honestly, and I'm shocked he's even back. So I kind of took that as like a they're giving him some more faith to stay there and try to fix it. Yeah. But Doc Rivers, like this Philly team started off the season 0-3, right? And after last year when James Harden was bad and – you know, the Sixers, they lost to the Heat. They lost, and I think everyone, after seeing Joel Embiid playing at an MVP caliber, thought they'd make it farther than they did, and they didn't. Now this year, James Harden's playing really well, and Joel Embiid doesn't look thrilled to be there, and they're 1-3, and three, and they're only wins against the Pacers. So if this type of shit continues and one of the stars is playing well, but the other one's not happy with the touches they're getting or some shit like that, and they have another disappointing playoff run, I think Doc's gone. Um, I, I'm just going to put my money on Doc because I think he's so – I think he's kind of universally respected in the league and also universally, like, kind of hated. 
in the yeah. league as well. Respected as a guy, not respected as like a threat coaching wise. Correct. Um, he's been in the league enough. Guys like him. He won the chip with Boston. Like he is respected as a man, but nobody's like, oh, fuck yeah, we got Doc Rivers on our team. Or like nobody's like intimidated to go against Doc Rivers. Right. Uh, I I would love to see him get fired. The thing I think that's going on with Embiid is just he's out of shape. Um, he had plantar fasciitis during yeah. the off season. Terrible time to deal with that. Uh, it is not a fun injury. It's not a quick recovery time. Um, so he probably spent a lot of the off season just kind of lounging around. Right. Um, so he's very clearly out of shape. I would love to see Doc Rivers get fired and somebody else competent take his place. Um, I I think Steve Nash may be untouchable. I think after the stuff that happened in the off season. I think yeah. if you're the GM and you're committing to keeping Nash in the offseason, you're committing to keeping Nash through the season. Right. And the Nets have been bad to start the season. Like the Nets are one and two. Like their defense looks fucking atrocious. Absolutely ben Simmons. Terrible. Ben Simmons looks horrible. I yeah. said the other day on the podcast, I wasn't gonna judge. I'm judging now. I don't need to see any more of the dudes bad at basketball. I'm good with that. Um Ben Steve Simmons has Nash. 14 fouls and 17 points so far through three games. <laughs> Yeah, like it's just fucking horrible. Him yeah. and Westbrook are on X Games mode in terms of trying <laughs> to be the worst player in the league. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like you said, like the fucking owner was basically saying, Hey, fuck you. I'm keeping Steve Nash over Kevin Durant. Like after that, you can't get a bigger vote of confidence, no matter how bad your team performs, right. and no matter how bad your sets are, and no matter how bad your motivational skills are. I think he's locked in. I'm with you. I think he's untouchable. I do think he's untouchable this year. Maybe next year, if this doesn't work, he's out because that's always the guy that goes is the coach. Right, um, right. And I think that's why Doc Rivers is the one in the hot seat um, because Tobias Harris is the trade piece there. If you're looking to make this team better, you got to ship Tobias Harris and get some more catch-and-shoot guys around. Um but it's not very likely to happen, man. So if there's issues, I think the thing that's more likely to happen is Doc Rivers getting canned. Yeah, yeah. I just, that one's interesting to me because the Sixers, a lot of people had them as like an Eastern Conference Finals team before the year had started. It doesn't feel like they're that to me. I knew their bench was going to be bad. I didn't like, we said it. It's It was my major X factor for them. Um, yeah. They've been pretty fucking horrible. Like, I'm thinking maybe the worst bench in the league. They had a good game against the Pacers, which is, you know, who cares? Yeah, well, exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. 11 points in the first game. I think like 10 in the second game. They have not been good at all. So th- that one's that one's something to look at for sure. Um, Do you have any other ones? I got nothing else. Yeah, I got nothing else either. I think this season's been super fun to like there's been such a quick start to it. It yeah. feels like things are just racing off. Um and I just wanted to kind of gauge where we were at with these certain players and the teams and coaches and everything, just how we felt about certain things. Before we go, I do want to talk about Cade a little bit cuz I feel like we kind of breezed over him a little bit. Mm-hmm. He was the number 1 overall pick. But for this year, we both said Halliburton do we think he figures out the efficiency thing? Because last year he was fucking horrible from the floor and then got better as the season went on. And this year he's horrible again. Like we're talking shit, like 39% from the floor, 35% from three is I guess league average, but that's still not, those numbers aren't like encouraging by any stretch. What are you thinking with him? 
I think it's still way too early. Yeah. Um, I try my best to reserve judgment for young guys until like the start of the third year is where I start to be like, is this guy not going to keep growing? Um, It's good to see 35% through uh, from three through three games because that's better than he was shooting all last year. And he's taken a lot of attempts, Um, but he is a shot chucker, man. He is, he's penciled in as this like, Paul George-esque guy. This is kind of how we've framed him. A lot of mid-range. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But you're not the only one doing that. Um, But when you look at his game, when you look at where he's actually efficient from, I mean, at the moment, he's efficient from absolutely nowhere. I was going to say, yeah. But he is not some mid-range killer. Paul George can hit a mid-range shot from anywhere on the floor with any number of hands in his face. Um, I don't really see Cade becoming that guy um he's certainly not that at the moment he's got to get better at finishing around the rim first of all um but the catch and shoot numbers are really what i want to see go up for sure i i think i'm i'm there with you i reserve judgment as well like a lot of people are mad at evan mobley right now because mobley's been i mean he was non-existent offensively against um the wizards the other night yeah he and he hasn't taken like more than 10 shots in a game this year through three games, but it's three games. Mm-hmm. So yes, I need to see Mobley shoot more. And yes, I need to K- see Cade's efficiency numbers go up. Yeah. I think what it is for me, if I don't like you as a player, three games is a big enough sample size. Right. If I like you as a player, I think we need to give you a little more time. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I love Cade and Mobley. So I'm just yeah. like, yeah, this isn't what I wanted to see, but there's more time. Like yes. we have 79 games less left for these players to play. Yes. Like they will figure it out. Absolutely. Um, because I brought him up, I need to vent a little bit about this Mobley stuff. I saw in the Bulls game what this man can be. And I think he only had 16 points in the game, but it was on mm-hmm. nine, seven and nine from shooting. He was beasting in the post and making the correct pass every fucking time. He touched the ball. J.B. Bickerstaff is a fucking liar. And the offseason, oh, we're going to let Mobley run the offense in the half court. We're going to let him take it up the court. Total and complete bullshit. It's been the Donovan Mitchell show through and through, which is fine because they're winning games. But you have a fucking generational talent on your organization right now. And yes, he's young. And yes, you're trying to win a championship. But when his skill set is dying to be used and you're treating him like P.J. Tucker, keeping him out in the perimeter and in the corner for threes, it shows some level of incompetence by J.B. Bickerstaff. And I like the dude. I think he's great at motivating the guys. I think they really, really like him there. But to have Evan Mobley on your fucking team and he only gets like two touches in the paint through a 48-minute game, it's malfeasance. It's fucking stupid. I don't get it. It's driving me a little bit crazy. I don't know if you guys can tell, but it's huh, it's driving me fucking crazy. It's a Bickerstaff issue, but is it also an Evan Mobley issue? Are you is he assertive enough late in these games? So if you go to the Raptors game, he took five shots in the first quarter. Dude was like, "This is mine," and then it was the Donovan Mitchell show, and we won. Uh, no, we lost, but it was a close fucking game, and Donovan Mitchell took us there. The Bulls. Same thing, beasting in the first quarter. Then it just kind of became the Donovan Mitchell show. And I'm not, I just think when Garland comes back, I'll see what I want to see from Mobley. Probably. I need a I need a guy who can actually pass the ball. Mitchell's masquerading as a point guard right now because they don't have one. 
Mm -hmm. Garland is one of the best table setters in the entire league. And Mobley, I consider as one of the best play finishers in the league. If you give him a good look, he's going to finish it like around the rim in the post. If you get him in the right spot, he's one of the guys who can just finish the possession. So it's been a little frustrating for me to watch just because the fucking shit he can do is insane. Mm -hmm. Like the way he can get his points. Like if you watch that Raptors game back, the way he was scoring in that game, it's like, okay, all-stars, that's how they create their buckets. And Mobley was creating buckets like an all-star, but he's just not getting the touches he deserves right now. In my opinion, Donovan Mitchell, I love like, and this isn't, I'm glad Mitchell's on the caps. There's been a little bit of like, this is my party. I'm going to fucking, sh you know, it's my team. I'm just going to do this by myself. And he's doing it by himself. So that's fine. But something's something needs to happen with Mobley soon. And I hope, I think Garland comes back tomorrow against the magic. So hopefully my worries are just squashed right away, but it's been a little annoying. Yeah. Mo uh, Mobley needs Garland and Ricky Rubio to be healthy. Um, he needs good facilitators on the team because he needs people who are going to be the point guard and not take every shot. Um, because Donovan Mitchell, I mean, he is going to shoot every shot. If you watched him on the jazz, if you watched him in playoff basketball, um, he's never stepped into a shot he doesn't like. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of just what you signed up for. But if you have the healthy squad around him, you've got somebody who can get Mobley the ball where he wants it. Right. And Mitchell's taking three times the shots Mobley's taking right yeah. now. That's unacceptable. Yeah. Like, yes, he's winning us games, but there's got to be some level. Of, and, like, Chetty just comes off the bench and starts fucking chucking away every time yeah. he touches the ball. Yeah, and it's does. working. Yeah. It's working. Like, the ball doesn't even get to other players because Chetty just touches it and rips it. And I'm like, when Mobley touches the ball, I get frustrated with him sometimes because he's making the right play. But then, at, like, at the end of the game, he has 10 points on seven shots. And I'm like... Does this guy just have to start pulling a Jalen Green and just chucking up every shot he sees because yeah. he won't see the ball again? I'm like, fuck, man. It is frustrating. No, I absolutely get it. It sucks seeing him have 10 points in a game. I feel like our listeners will, like, sympathize with this. Have you ever played pickup basketball with a really talented player? And you're just at the, like, Y or the local court, and this kid was, like, the star point guard on your fucking high school team or whatever. And he can get whatever he wants whenever he wants it. So he gets it. But the whole game, you're just clapping in the corner, waiting. First <laughs> yeah. ball to t you're just like, please <laughs> fucking God, why am I here? Like, if I wanted to run back and forth, I would have gone to the fucking track, right? <laughs> yeah. That's that's how it feels to me watching the cast yeah. right now. Like, Mitchell can do whatever the fuck he wants out there. And he's doing whatever the fuck he wants out there. Mm -hmm. But Mobley's just like, hello? And same thing with Jared Allen. And same, like, literally the whole team's just like... Yeah, they're talented enough that they deserve shots. No matter how good Mitchell <laughs> right. is, those other right. guys are talented enough that they shouldn't just be sitting in the corner waiting for something cool to happen. Exactly. And it's fine. They're winning games. I'm sure when Garland comes back, it's going to be a lot more even. But as of right now, through three games, <laughs> yeah. I'm just if like, we, holy shit. If we end the season with Chetty Osmond taking more field goals a game than Mobley, I'm going to I'm going to fucking murder someone. <laughs> I'm going to be so angry if that happens. Oh, <laughs> Nice little Cavs rant to end the yeah. podcast. Yep, yep, yep. Always. All right, All right guys. folks. Peace. Peace out.